Well, this morning, we're beginning our series in the book of Ruth, and uh, looking forward to spending the next several weeks together considering this Old Testament text. And uh, if you'd like to turn there, uh, you can do that now. We'll be uh, looking at Ruth chapter 1 in just a few minutes. If you're following along in a pew Bible, it's on page 222, so an easy number to remember. Uh, The text is also printed there in your bulletin on page 9. But as we begin, there are a few reasons that we chose this book. One of them is our commitment to preaching the whole counsel of God. As we consider any series, we're trying to think through how we have a varied diet of all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, letters from the New Testament, the prophets that we considered in Advent, wisdom literature, Jesus' work in the Gospels. And so this brings us to Old Testament narrative, which is beautiful and speaks to our hearts in so many ways. And that really brings us to the other reason. The the other reason for this study is just how relevant the themes in this book are to all of us, I think. You can see on the front of your bulletin, we've kind of summarized the theme of this, as others have done as well, as from famine to fullness, from famine to fullness. And for many of us, the famine that we experience in our life is not usually a literal lack of food, although that is a real and present struggle for many. But we live in a world where all around us we are being told that we don't have enough, that we are empty, that there's a famine for whatever uh, this particular thing may be offering us. Every screen we see is telling us all day long, you don't have enough. It could be you don't have enough peace. There's not enough peace in this world or peace in this country. You don't have enough freedom. You don't have enough security. You need more stuff. You need more beauty. You need more skills. You need more pleasure. And someone or something is always promising to bring that fullness, isn't it? Um, And we don't need screens to tell us this, do we? We know this deep down inside. They are tapping into something that's real and true within us, right? There is this emptiness that we feel living here in a fallen world. But the beauty of the book of Ruth is what it does is it it asks us in that experience of emptiness and in that experience of famine, it asks us what we're trusting in to fill us. And it shows us how God takes ordinary people like you and me from famine to fullness in him. And we're going to start on that journey today as we just consider the introduction of Ruth. And so let me read for us Ruth 1, 1 through 6, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord's help. This is God's word. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, 
the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So far, the reading of God's word, and let's pray and ask his help as we consider it together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have not left us alone, but you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed it through your word, and your word speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to see him today, that we would come to better understand you and your love for us, the plans you have to fill us with yourself. We pray that you would meet us where we are and strengthen our faith. We pray that your spirit would work mightily in our hearts, that we would hear and believe this glorious good news of how you have visited us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to look at this text this morning in just two main points. We're going to see, first of all, that this is a story of grief, and then secondly, we'll see that it's a story of grace. It's a story of grief and a story of grace as we consider this introduction to the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and later on Obed. And so first of all, let's see how this is a story of grief. And we see that primarily in verses 1 to 5. These short verses that I just read, they take us back and they situate us in a really difficult time in Israel's history. You know, they whisk us away to this time and space that's over 3,000 years ago. And yet, as we look at it, in so many ways, it is still very familiar to what we experience in this life as well. Verse 1 tells us that this took place in the days when the judges ruled. And on the one hand, this gives us a historical timestamp of of when this took place. Historically, it's a time of international unrest. Nations are marching back and forth across this section of the globe. And as we read our Bibles in this time period, we're hearing about the Philistines and the Hittites and Egypt and these nations that are just tromping through this land that Israel is seeking to attain. But it's not just a historical timestamp, it's a theological indicator as well. It tells us about the spiritual condition in Israel at the time when this was taking place. And that phrase, in the days when the judges ruled, cues us into this is a time when things are not going well. It's the dark valley between that high point of coming out of Egypt and meeting with the Lord on Sinai, and then this other high point that's going to come with the Davidic kingdom and Solomon and peace and glory, but it is the low point of the valley in between. And the people are in this downward spiral of straying from the Lord. And as a result, oppressor after oppressor is afflicting them with fear and with violence and plundering them. And in spite of God's merciful rescue through the judges time and time again, the people's obedience to him is it's short-lived at best. 
and they're increasing in immorality and division and infighting. And by the time we come to the end of the book of Judges, what we realize is that Israel is just as bad, if not worse, than the Canaanites around them. And the book of Judges summarizes this by saying it's a time when everyone was doing what was right in his or her own eyes. And so this took place when the judges ruled. And then on top of that, it tells us that there was a famine in the land. And when we hear that, I know I've already tipped my hat to thinking about that in metaphorical ways, but we need to hear this in a very literal way because that's what's taking place here. This is a time when there is not enough food, when the crops have been destroyed, when the rains are not coming, and you can't just go to the next grocery store. And it's not just that we can't find toilet paper, it's that we can't find food. And so what we're to hear in this is desperation. And and that desperation is really highlighted in the place where these people are living. They're living there in Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. And yet there in the house of bread, there's not enough bread for Elimelech and Naomi and their family. And so they go to Moab, they go east to find food. Now, choosing to head east to Moab is a little bit different than us saying, you know, things are really dry here in California. I'm going to go eastward to the humidity of Texas somewhere. Um, It's a little bit different than that. This was a unique time, and the people of Israel were in a unique relationship with God there in that land. God had called his people to that land at this time. Each tribe had their own inheritance that they were to remain in. And the famine that's taking place during that time was to also be understood as theological. Deuteronomy had said that this would happen if the people were not faithful to the Lord. And so the ultimate solution for the people of Israel was to turn to the Lord and not to go back to Moab for food. And so not only is there that kind of bigger context with Moab, but Moab is also a very strange destination for Elimelech. It is not a place that is thought of well of in the Bible at all. The Moabites originated through Lot and his daughter. And after the Israelites came out of Egypt, you may remember that story as we come to Numbers 22, where Moab's king, Balak, He wants to defeat the Israelites, and so he has Balaam the prophet come, and the goal is to pronounce curses upon the people of Israel. So Moab's king is not very fond of the Israelites, hasn't been. And then the people of Moab ensnared the Israelites in Numbers chapter 25 in immorality and idolatry early on in their wilderness journey. And even in the most recent history, if we just jump back to Judges chapter 3, the Moabites under King Eglon had just been oppressing the Israelites. And so Moab is not the place faithful Israelites are saying, I, you know what, I think we should get a timeshare or a summer home over there in Moab. Uh, it is not a friendly, God-fearing place. And we don't know Elimelech's reasoning for going there. You know, it could have been an explicit lack of faith and denial of the Lord. Of I know Deuteronomy, I know what it says, but I'm heading to Moab. Or it could have been more based just on pragmatism. The I need bread 
feeling in his heart may have been more on his mind than turning to the Lord for bread. And so whatever the reason that Elimelech and the family venture out to Moab, the movement in the narrative is striking to us because Elimelech's name means, my God is king. And yet Elimelech leaves the land of his God and he goes to the land of Moab's king and Moab's gods. And so it's interesting for us. And there's this subtle progression that we see in the text that I think can be instructive for us as well. In verse 1, it says that they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. They went there to temporarily find food to alleviate the suffering they were facing. But by the time we come even to verse 2, it says they went into the country of Moab and they remained there. Literally, it says, and they were there. And so by the end of verse 2, we see a family. We see Elimelech and Naomi and their two boys, Malon and Kilion, settled there in Moab while there's famine in Bethlehem. And while they were there, tragedy struck, didn't it? Elimelech died. The idea is Elimelech died young. And Naomi and the boys, they were left in Moab without their husband and father. And while this is difficult, there's still a bright spot, right? There's a silver lining. Naomi still has her two sons with her, so they could be okay. And this actually, in the narrative, would present a a perfect time for a choice for the family to make, right? Elimelech has died. What are we going to do? Do we remain here in Moab, or should we look back to Judah? But they stayed, and they took wives, Moabite wives, which is expressly forbidden for Israelites in Deuteronomy 7. But for Naomi and the boys, it probably seemed like, okay, now things will be okay and we can continue on. But then, after about 10 years of entering Moab, Moab, just a decade, within a decade, Naomi finds herself in a darker situation than she could have ever imagined. Both of her sons die. And now we have Naomi and Ruth and Orpah all widowed in Moab. And we also learn that after years of marriage, Ruth and Orpah were childless. And it's just one more layer of this pain and this suffering and this loss that they were all bearing together. And it's not only a situation of overwhelming grief, but it's also a situation of desperation. To be Naomi as an Israelite foreigner in Moab with no men to provide for you and no offspring, this was a precarious situation for them. And so verse 5, it's so um, just beautiful in how it does it and shows us the starkness of what's going on. But it's like that verse, it zooms out like those images you've seen where you have all the people of Moab gathered around and as it zooms out, all the other people kind of fade and all that you're left with is this one silhouette of a woman who's there. And it says, the woman, no longer her name because all that she knew about her name was no longer with her. But the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And later, Naomi is going to describe her situation in verse 21 as emptiness, grief, 
and emptiness. And it's in this situation of famine and grief and emptiness that the Lord is going to work to bring Naomi to fullness. But before we move on to see that, I think it's important to stop and consider what these verses show us. It's helpful to stop and see the complexity of Naomi's grief and emptiness. You know, we have broad strokes knowledge from the law as we read Deuteronomy, as we understand our Old Testaments, that their overall journey back to Moab, Moab and the plan to stay there, that that wasn't the ideal path of faithfulness for them. And so we may know that conceptually, but there's also a lot that we don't know, do we? The text doesn't tell us whose fault this was. And it doesn't even seem to want us to spend time trying to figure it out. It it wants to move on with the story to show what God is doing in this situation. And as we think about Naomi's situation, it's particularly complex. Was she an active part of these decisions to go to Moab? Was she wholeheartedly pro-Moab? She had stickers on her water bottle and on the back of her camel, Moab or bust, this is what... This is what we really, I've been waiting my whole life to go there. Or was she carried along by her husband's decisions and then by her son's decisions as they found these wives? Or was she somewhere in between, back and forth over the course of a decade or more? You see, the point of the introduction here is that God saw Naomi in Moab. He saw her in the complexity of her grief and her emptiness. Some of that was perhaps of her own making. Some of that was on account of the making of others and things far beyond her control that we don't even know all the reasons for. But God sees her there and he has a plan to make her full. And God sees you today as well. What griefs are you bearing today? We know that this room is filled with people, which means it's filled with griefs and burdens. Some may be the same as Naomi felt, grief over the death of loved ones. Perhaps it's not the grief of literal death, but the grief over family that we have who we know are not right with God. Maybe it's grief over lives that you've never met, children or grandchildren that you may long for and never know, maybe because of infertility or miscarriage or circumstances beyond your control. The Lord saw Naomi in that grief. And Naomi also knew the emptiness of when things did not go as she had hoped or planned, didn't she? And perhaps you feel the emptiness of broken relationships or a failed career or failing health or goals or dreams that you've had that have just vanished or have just faded away as the years have gone on. And like Naomi, the griefs and the emptiness that you feel, that I feel, that we feel, it's complex. 
It's a mixture of choices that you may have made, choices that others made, things that you did and things that were unforeseen by you and beyond your control. But the beginning of this story calls us to see that just as God saw Naomi in the complexities of her grief and her emptiness, he sees you and he has a plan to make you full in him. He has a gracious plan to bring you to that fullness as well. And so we'll see how that process often begins as we continue on in the story. But but first, we've seen that it's a story of grief. But secondly, we see that it's also a story of grace, a story of grace. And we find that in verse 6. Let me read it for us again. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. News of grace came to Naomi when she was in Moab. This short verse, it's just saturated. It is dripping with the message of grace. That word there, visited, when it speaks of God, It means that he's shown up, and he's shown up either in blessing or in judgment, but in here it is blessing. God has intervened on behalf of, he has come to the aid of his people. And the use of his people here is strategic, because remember, these are the dark days of the judges. His people are not walking faithfully with him, but here by referring to them as his people, it's reminding us that God has not given up on them. Even though they didn't deserve it, he has come to them again in grace. And he gave them food. Literally, it says he gave them bread. And I I wish our version said, Bread. You feel free to write it above food there if you want, because the whole problem is there's, there's no longer bread in the house of bread, but God has shown up in his grace and he has restocked the house of bread freely by his grace. And so God's grace is breaking in back in Bethlehem. But you know what's most gracious about this whole thing? Is that Naomi there in Moab, somehow as she's there in her grief and pain, She hears this good news that God has visited his people. There in Moab with bread in her hand, but emptiness and sorrow in her heart, she heard this good news. And God, by his grace, helps her to respond. It says she arose to return from the country of Moab. Think about what that must have been like after over a decade of living there, to arise and to set out to return. She doesn't know what that journey is going to look like. We're going to find out next week that the Lord still has a lot to do in her heart. She has endured many things, but she knew that it was time to leave the fields of Moab and to seek the bread that God had provided for his people. And so as this scene draws to a close, we see this beautiful picture of Naomi after 10 years returning from the far country. The Lord had by his grace and mercy once again filled the house of bread. And now the question remains, 
what will he do for Naomi's hunger, for Naomi's emptiness? It's really a story of the far country, isn't it? The Bible is filled with stories of the far country. Sometimes it's a really complicated journey, like Naomi's, filled with all kinds of different factors. Sometimes it's like we heard from Jesus in our scripture reading today. The younger son's calculated rebellion and headlong dive, spurning the father and heading toward immorality. Other times it's like the older brother of that story, where they may never physically leave the house, but be miles away from God and from grace because of self-righteousness and pride. You know, ever since Adam and Eve chose the forbidden fruit over every other tree in the garden, we have been experiencing the grief and the emptiness of life in the far country, off east of Eden, away from the fullness of life with God. But just as with Naomi, good news of God's grace has come, so also to us today, even better news of the grace of God is coming to us right now. God has visited his people by coming all the way into the far country. He sent his son as the bread of life to Bethlehem. And Jesus entered into the grief and emptiness of a world that's starving for life with God. And on the cross, he bore all that brought that famine in the first place. He bore our sin upon himself. He brought forgiveness for every one of our sins and for every step we've ever taken toward Moab. And by being raised in resurrection glory, he has opened up the way back from the far country, back to eternal life with God. And Jesus himself is the way as we turn in faith to him. He's the way, the truth. He's the life that Moab could never bring us. And so this good news of God's grace, it has come to you today. It may be the first time, may not be the first time. But what is your response to it? The prodigal son came to his senses and he headed back to the father. Naomi got up and she started off down that road back to Bethlehem. Have you turned to Jesus? And have you trusted him as the only way from the famine of life in this fallen world, broken by our sin, to life with God? The wonder of these far country stories is it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what has been done to you. There is grace for Naomi. There's grace for the younger brother. There's grace for the older brother. The call is come to where you will find fullness. And that fullness is found in Jesus Christ. Will you turn and trust him today? You know, this turning and trusting, it's not a one-time response, is it? Many of us have already seen the emptiness of the far country, haven't we? And we've turned to Jesus as the only way to this fullness of salvation, life with God. 
But the Christian life, waiting for Jesus' return, it's this interesting spot, isn't it? Because it's this journey from the far country of what we were once in, and yet we're still in the far country until he comes again. (laughs) And it can be a long journey. I wonder how many times Naomi, just on that walk back to Judah, thought about turning back to Moab. I bet more than once. All of the unknowns, all of the comforts that Moab had offered her, even though it wasn't perfect, she knew what it was. And many of us can look around and in the midst of the griefs and the emptiness of this life, we're continually tempted to look back to the fields of Moab. Because, you know, the things that Moab offers are often far more concrete and tangible than this nebulous path of following the Jesus way until he comes. And those things can seem so much more satisfying, so much more concrete. Pleasures of every kind that can distract us from the emptiness and grief that we feel. And so the call continually is to not look back to the fields of Moab. But you know, some of us, may not really care about Moab's fields anymore. (laughs) None of that bread appeals to you. What, What you're most concerned about is your own heart. Maybe you're discouraged that God hasn't yet taken away all of the emptiness of the losses that you've endured. Maybe deep down you wonder what God is ever going to do with this bitterness that's starting to well up within you over what life in Moab has done to you. Wherever you are, on that journey with Jesus, there is that good news today of God's grace. He has seen you in your grief and emptiness, and he has visited you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has a plan to fully fill the deepest longings and desires of your heart through life with him. Brother and sister, You are on the right path. It may be different than you had planned. We won't fully know this fullness until glory. But like Naomi, God will continue to meet and to bless you all along the way, even often in the most unexpected ways, until in his time and in his way, he will make you full. The Lord Jesus during his time on earth said, In Luke 6, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Through the work of Jesus on the cross, through his life, death, and resurrection, God himself will satisfy us. He will be our God, and we will be his people forever. And so may he give us grace to return again and again to the wonder of of that promise. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we find comfort in the fact that you perfectly know the situation we are in and you perfectly know what will fill us. These are things that we are still struggling to even know ourselves. But we pray that you would give us faith that the path of following Jesus 
and trusting in your promised fullness is truly the way that you have called us and the way that you will bless us. We pray that you will give us strength and faith for whatever the journey may hold. And we pray that you may work in us to feel that fullness by the power of your spirit, to experience your presence along the way until our Lord Jesus comes and our faith becomes sight. It's in his name we pray. Amen.